We got another fantastic interview this week, and we have a bunch of news from manager hirings to schedule changes to new team news. You don't want to miss this week's episode of the Indie Bar Report Podcast. Yeah, right. We're back again. Episode number one. I was about to say 100 and something, but it's actually 202. Uh, that's going to take a little bit of time to get used Muscle, to. Muscle. Uh, that's a habit. Just a habit. Exactly. I mean, it's only like I've been saying 100 and something for about two years now, you know. I yeah, don't know exactly. why I'd be in that habit of doing it. But, you know, either way, I'm Nick. He's Will. Uh, yeah, Will's back. He's, he's back from I'm the back. desert. We had to send a car for him, so it's all good. But, yep. Yeah, I had I did make that drive all the way back because JFK Airport's bad. But more on that later. Yeah, I know. I may have to go ahead and buy him a uh, buy him some sort of service animal so that way he could try and get through JFK a little bit quicker and they won't pull that crap with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just think of it. We get you like a Labrador and put a vest on him. I have to get some blind glasses and one of those uh, walking sticks. But you know. Once you, get over the moral, once you get over the moral quandary, pretend to be blind, you can enjoy the fast lines. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I think I could just take my one-year-old pit, my new one-year-old pit bull, but I don't think he'd be a very good service animal. I'd be touch and go, certainly. And I think uh, that may slow you down in the lines, too. But you Yeah. Know, but we'll discuss more on flying later. What we do have is a bunch of news in the Frontier League, the Atlantic League, and the Pioneer League. And we also got the uh, second half of those doubleheader interviews we did, uh, I guess it would have been last week still, uh, or I guess two weeks by the time the majority of people are listening. Uh, first half was Pete and Kavili, which was a fantastic interview. And the second half is Matt Callahan, the vice president and general manager of the uh, Tri-City Valley Cats. Obviously, you'll hear that one in a little bit but first we got to get to the frontier league and their news and that's going to start in windy city we got two things for windy city one's a staff hiring one's a schedule change and the staff hiring is their pitching coach they welcome in uh jarrett wright 11 year veteran of the major league started game seven of the 97 world series as a 21 year old rookie so pretty uh, high-pressure situation to be thrown into. He's going to be the pitching coach for Richie Sexton and his Windy City Thunderbolts. Um, I don't know much more on his actual coaching experience. It also seems like it's a situation where they're kind of, you know, friendly. And it's like, hey, you want to do this? And it came out, ah, why not? So, uh, yeah, Jarrett Wright, pitching coach, Windy City. Any thoughts? No, I mean it <clears throat> sounds like a sounds like a solid hire. Again, it seems like to be a. Uh, I guess in in indie ball, you you it's a little bit rare to find. Uh, it's, it's rare to find staffs with consistent major league experience, especially uh, you know in the frontier league. So I mean, not not that like the major league experience is say is like the end all be all, but at the end of the day, I think it's. Uh, I mean, you have guys who have been there on the biggest stage before, and they know what it takes to get there. So I think uh, it, it's uh, you know Jarrett Wright sounds like a, a pretty good hire to me as well, and like I mean, eleven league big league uh, an eleven season big league veteran kind of speaks for itself, but uh, but it sounds like a pretty solid hire to me as well. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, it seems it seems like a solid one. I, I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, there's no real coaching experience that I can at least see from quickly looking over the baseball reference page or anything of that sort. Uh, I mean, obviously he had a good career. I mean, you don't sit around for 11 years in the major leagues, not, uh, not doing well, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like I don't really have too much more to add on until I can, uh, realistically see how he does as a coach. Cause obviously playing and coaching is significantly different, but it is a major league heavy staff, which I think works as a positive in a way because it definitely gives you I I don't want to say it gives you more credit because that's not necessarily true certainly but it also just adds a little more credibility I think to players when you hear something like that that maybe if you were kind of like I don't know about this guy what is he really done you have a guy that's like well I pitched 11 years in the major league so maybe you want to hear what I have to say type of thing and at the very least when you fill out your staff with former major league guys like Sexton, like Wright, it definitely helps in promoting the team too, right? So, you know, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting hire. Yeah, I think the promoting the brand is uh, is is a pretty, it's a good point. And I think, I mean, of course, nobody's coming to the ballpark to watch Jarrett Wright be the pitching coach. But I think it, at the end of the day, it it could also um, you know attract. Uh, help attract some talent as well, and that being a really attractive thing and uh, something that a lot of coaching staffs in the in the Frontier League don't have. So, uh, so I, I would say that overall looks like a positive. Definitely, definitely does. And the other news out of Windy City is we have a slight scheduling change here to their June fourth game. Uh, the June fourth games have moved to May twenty fifth and will now be played as a day night doubleheader on the twenty fifth, featuring the first game. At 10.35 in the morning, I was not at night, although that would be pretty cool if they started a day-night doubleheader at, with the night in the beginning of the day and the second half. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, I, I almost would love to see that as a promotional thing. I don't know how the attendance would be, per se, but... Yeah, I, I think there might be more players on the field than there would be in the stands. Well, I'd hope there's not that many players in the stands, but... Okay, you know what I'm saying. I know, but I had to take advantage of it. Any case, uh, but I think it would be kind of cool. I mean, the St. Paul Saints did something like that not that long ago uh, with like a day-to-night game where they started play when it was dark out and then went with the sunrise. But that that's a whole other thing uh, that's unrelated to the fact that after the 10:35 game against Tri-City, they will play a 6:35 game against the Gateway Grizzlies. So it is two teams in one day as part of this double header. Um, now the current schedule is they're just going to be off on that fourth date uh, in June. So the fourth, no games now. The 25th is a uh, double header with a school day in the beginning and a night game in the end between a couple of different clubs. So it is definitely an interesting thing. It's definitely weird of your gateway because now all of a sudden you have to just kind of go to Windy City for one game just randomly in the middle of May. It's like second week of the year. And then you go to gateway again, like a week later, roughly. And you just play two games and you're off on Sunday, which is definitely odd in baseball to have off on a Sunday. But uh, either way, it's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting setup there. And I feel like there's some marketability and some promotional opportunity here with like three teams in one day type of thing. 
I'm not creative enough to really figure it out because I've been thinking about it. But uh, yeah, I am very interested to see if they could swing some sort of marketability from this. Well, I I agree. I don't know, I guess, the promotional reason behind it at all. But I uh, it is interesting, I guess, is the best way to put it. But I still don't know the full reason why. I, and... Uh. I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm just gonna jump. I think it's, I think it's probably just they had a scheduling conflict. My guess yeah. would be because they're on the road that week too. Like if you click the schedule in the tweet, we'll link the tweet in the show notes. That day of the fourth, that would be their last home game until June 13th. So it'd be a solid week from five through 12 where they're not at home. They're not playing any home games. So I'd imagine there is something going on in the ballpark or they're trying to schedule something because obviously you don't yeah. just leave it open for a whole week, you know. So if it's something like that and whatever they have planned, whether that be a concert on that date, whether that be getting uh, some sort of uh, showmanship thing, I don't, I don't know what that may be, maybe like a BMX type thing or whatever, it's going to take some more time to set up. So, yeah. you know, it, if you have a six o'clock game on Saturday and then a standard one o'clock start on Sunday, that one o'clock start could go to as late as, say, 4.30, 5 o'clock if it's a long game. That may kind of make it very difficult to set up. And so if you're able to kind of get that open day where now it's like, OK, we can start to set up on um, on Sunday so that we're ready to run on Monday or whatever it may be, you know, it, it helps out a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the reasoning. But I just think there's some marketability right. on that 25th game of being able to say, like, three teams one day. How often are you going to be able to see this? The answer? Never. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's Well, I wouldn't rare. say never. But yeah. I've, n- I've never seen it, at least. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it. I remember seeing somewhere, uh, me commenting on it, I think someone else said that, one other team was doing something similar to that this year. So the I, Frontier League? I may have been the Frontier League. I don't know. Or had done something like that before. I just had never heard or seen this before. So it just was kind of like an oddity that I definitely wanted to point out. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, certainly quite a unique setup, that, that to put it mildly. Yeah, definitely. So uh, on that note, we have... I get, one of the things technically Frontier News, but it does include... Uh, actual gateway in it because, and I guess we'll go to that, it is the Frontier League tryout camp, which is actually a really nice logo if you look at it. Here's the deal we behind the uh, tryout camp. It's the 13th, uh, 30th annual tryout camp. It's going to be held Monday, April 24th, and Tuesday, April 25th at GCS Credit Union Ballpark in Saget, Illinois. Uh, that is the home of the Gateway Grizzlies. All 16 teams will be there. Multiple workouts. Scouts from major league clubs there as well. Representatives from other independent leagues as well. Uh, you can register at frontierleaguetryouts.eventbrite.com. Link in show notes for anyone curious. Uh, it's the same thing as pretty much every year. Workout starts at 9 on Monday. Running drill, fielding drill, throwing drill for infielders, outfielders, catchers, batting practice for the position players. Pitchers will throw 15 to 20. Uh, pitch bullpens on the first day. Managers put together a list of who's invited back for inter-squad game the following day. After those games are done, 30-minute break. 
clubs prepare for the draft. They draft. We all know the drafted players have a very high uh, hit or a very high miss rate because it's kind of like they're obligated to draft people. So they're kind of taking the best. Sometimes you find good players. Sometimes you don't. That's kind of the way these things work. It's better than nothing. And it certainly gets you in front of people. They list off some guys that uh, have been signed from the tryout in past years that have gone on to Major League Baseball organizations, guys like Josh Smoker, guys like Chris Smith, Robert Stock, Nick Duran. Uh, I'm not going to try. Uh, Don't even try. Yeah. Uh, it's Chris J from Seattle. We'll go with that. If you're interested in the tryout camp, go there. Uh, standard rules apply as far as turf shoes or molded cleats, a.k.a. no metal cleats and no seeds. Uh, if you do any of that, you're going to get gunned. So uh, don't waste your money <laughs> by bringing seeds or metal cleats because you're just going to get uh, tossed from the tribe. You will be removed at gunpoint. Uh, I, you know what? I respect them. They're upholding the rules at that point, and you got to respect yep. it. So. Yep. Uh, enfor- enforcing the rules. Uh, I mean, obviously not too much to add, but I think that uh, it's certainly a good opportunity with, I mean, as it is every year, it's not like it's a new thing, but uh, we'll say logo looks really good. I, I, I totally agree. The, well, I mean, it's almost seems like a waste for mm-hmm. like just like the tryouts, but I guess you know I, yeah. whoever did the graphic design on that really good. Yeah, the graphic design's been a lot better as of late, honestly. And this uh, this event's also starting at seventy five, same pricing as last year. It looks like, uh, but yeah, no, I really do like the tryout camp logo, like the arch in there with the baseball flying over. The baseball flying over is almost like getting some uh create or some inspiration from uh the rockland logo where you got the boulder ball going through there so i I definitely like that it's uh honestly it's just really aesthetically pleasing i'm gonna have to go ahead and steal that later on to put in the graphic but um yeah overall pretty good there so uh, on that note we got the last bit of the frontier league that we have and the last bit of news we have before the interview comes out and then we'll be back to go over the Pioneer League and Atlantic League after that. But uh, on Thursday morning uh, of a couple weeks back, of course, this was the 12th, so about a week ago, the Otters added Rick Corte to the coaching staff. Now, I know you're wondering, who the hell is Rick Corte? And he is a former CEO, president, and director, or managing director of the uh, Hindenhain Holding Company. group uh, he's he managed nine separate companies in that capacity over his time there and uh long and short is he's a business guy and for whatever reason he has been added to the otters coaching staff as a quote character coach helping players and coaches set personal goals and become better men both on and off the field and uh, he's going to kind of kind of do something in the room i don't quite know what the hell that is uh but he's currently a professional speaker and mentor which is a funny way of saying he gets paid to talk um living the dream that we all have and yeah uh, i wish we got paid to talk we'd be really good at it i mean really i mean especially if we're just allowed to go off on tangents because you know that will to be fair that may take us a little bit of time to get used to going off on it's tangents. a damn good show and sometimes we go on tangents exactly it's perfect and uh yeah so anyway uh, rick corte is here and, uh, yeah, I, I assume he's just going to kind of be here. Just kind of 
Well, I think it looks yeah. like it kind of it looks like he's more along the lines of helping players uh, getting ready for the workforce, like at the um, like as far as if you know, of course, not really helping on the baseball end of things, but hey, if like if you're trying to enter the workforce, like I can help you do that. Uh, and which is good because a lot of guys, you know, they're they're knowing that their indie ball career is probably wrapping, kind of winding down, and uh, you know are going to have to get a real job. And maybe I don't know, some of them might might have been drafted out of high school and they never went to college. And you know, so I, I think that I think having a guy who could help with certain certain things like that could be could be really useful. So I I think it. You know, it's an interesting idea. It's a position we've never really seen before, but I think there's some value in it. Well, if we're talking seriously, yeah, there's definitely value in it because how going from a transition from playing baseball to, you know, the workforce, there are a lot of uh, skills that you can market that are translatable to the two. However, the thought of Rick Corte kind of acting as a quasi or a proto Grim Reaper is just hilarious to me where like you're at your locker one day, you know, you're getting your glove ready, you're getting your bat ready, you know, put pine tar on, whatever it may be. And then just out of nowhere, you get the tap on the shoulder. It's Corte going. So why don't we go ahead and talk for a minute? Like that's going to be horrific. It'd be a good preface to somebody getting cut. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, uh, me and Andy want to talk to you for a minute. Do you mind if, uh, you just come in here? At that point, you just got this look like, oh, shit. Hey, man, you're like two for your last 25 with uh, 14 punchies. Like, have you ever thought about what you're going to, what you might do when your baseball career is done? <laughs> so, so uh, I hate to break it to you, but you're just, uh, you're just not good at the game anymore. So, we're you thinking. Like 82. Yeah. yeah. You got an ERA above seven, son. Uh, now and, and the the um, you could also playing for Empire State is also an option. <laughs> oh, he, so he really is the Grim Reaper now. He sent him to the land beyond death. No, he's like death. Empire. He's like death from Family Guy. Really, Christ! I mean, oh my God! But I like practically, I get it. It's just a very odd thing to announce, you know, like. This just seems like the kind of thing you kind of you use to pitch to players, but you don't really announce. I don't really know why uh, you would uh, announce that. It's just it's kind of funny. Like, like I it's I just didn't yeah, expect. Why, this. why did they announce? Why did they put a whole press release together about it and put the most important part of this like buried in like the f- sixth paragraph? Yeah. Another focus will be this is players who want professional advice while preparing to enter the workforce, whether that be for a job for the offseason or post-playing career. Yeah, that really is buried in there. So uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Certainly, someone who knows a lot about media myself, not. But <laughs> no. Oh, uh, God. But uh, yeah, any case, so that's Rick Corte news. Uh, other bit of sadder Evansville news that came out on uh, last Friday, a week ago today. Uh, Evansville lost uh, their radio analyst and brief time uh, bench coach in uh, Bill McKinnon. He uh, passed away at the age of 90. Uh, So he worked in baseball for 70 years too. So he knows, you know, he lived a full life there. Player, coach, scout, manager, broadcaster, integral part of the uh, 
otter's experience, I suppose, would be the best way of putting it, having having been there for some time. So I just want to mention that because when you have uh, people that are known in the independent circle, it's good to mention them in in uh, any sort of news so it's it's just good to mention so just want to bring it up even if it yeah, is a sure. uh, shitty uh circumstance yeah for sure definitely a guy that worked in bill mckinnon working in baseball for such a long time so certainly sad news and will be missed hmm. so uh, on that note we'll go to something a bit more uh i guess happy and a bit more exciting which is the interview we do have ready it is a a nice interview with the vice president and general manager of the tri-city valley cats in uh matt callahan very very happy that matt took the time to come on the show he also helped set up the pete interview so very thankful for both of that uh this interview it's a lot of just uh just talking about that whole transition to the Frontier League, why the Frontier League, a lot of good information like that, and, you know, the greater Albany region's uh, baseball kind of influence that the Valley Cats hold over it. So, uh, I guess enough explain the interview, and the best way to explain it would be, uh, that, that was kind of a train wreck right there. I'm going to cut that <laughs> move. I don't really even know where I was going. It was kind of like when you're a running back and you go in the pile and you're just trying to desperately find a seam out of it. That's what that was. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so enough explaining the interview, because better than explaining it, it's just letting you listen to it. So, uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Valley Cats Vice President and General Manager, Matt Callahan. We're back again with another interview in the long-running interview series here on the Indie Ball Report. And this week, we have a, another Tri-City Valley Cat member. This time, we have the vice president and the general manager of the Valley Cats, Matt Callahan. How are you doing today? Doing well today, guys. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. Uh, so I guess uh, what we're going to start off with is... What's it? Uh, what's baseball like in the Albany region? Because I know for us, we've had this huge demographic shift as everything's changed, uh, and we went from more of a New Jersey, New York audience to more of a Midwest frontier kind of footprint audience. So for people that are kind of unaware of the capital region or greater Albany region, uh, what's the baseball culture like? What's it like up there in general? Yeah, the baseball culture in, in the capital region, you know, Albany and, and Troy is, is kind of our main footprint. Is It's really healthy, um, you know, starting at, at the youth level. And I think as you've probably seen, uh, or at least I've seen in the Northeast, I can't speak for across the country, but I don't know that there's as many kids playing Little League and sort of that entry point. But I think the amount of, of kids that stick with the game and are um, playing a lot of baseball and some of the travel and elite teams has really, really seemed to take off around here. And it's produced some, some high quality players. Um, the high school programs, a lot of them will play sectional games or regional games here at the ballpark. And, um, upstate New York and, and the capital region has actually had a, a number of, uh, of players over the past five plus years, uh, get drafted and, you know, some drafted in, in the first round. Garrett Whitley uh, was a first round pick going back uh, a handful of years. Um, 
Michael Kennedy actually pitched here in a um, high school all-star game and then was drafted by the uh, the Pirates, I believe, in the fourth round uh, of, of the 2022 draft here. So um, you don't think of, of upstate New York, especially when you look outside and it's uh, 27 degrees or whatever as a, a hotbed for baseball activity. But um, there's there's a lot of quality players around here. A lot of people are passionate about the game and uh, fortunately for us, that you know extends to uh, to Valley Cats baseball as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't. I totally get that whole perception basis that you know your general region has because New Jersey has kind of a similar thing. I mean, it's a balmy forty-two right now here in the Garden State, and uh, no one ever thinks of us as a major baseball state. But then you start to look at the talent, and it's certainly there. Uh, so with that, I imagine a lot of those grassroots uh, organizations, a lot of those kind of youth baseball programs, that's a large. Uh, part of what you guys do. It's a large area of what you kind of focus on, if not necessarily for promoting, but certainly reaching out to to those types of players to try and get them maybe not necessarily involved with the organization, but get them out to the ballpark and, and things like that. Yeah, no question. I mean, that's such a, a huge piece of, of filling the ballpark is is group sales and and trying to be good ambassadors for the game of baseball. That's That's something that we've always strived to do. And you know, whether it's it's hosting some youth tournaments and travel tournaments, which we do each year, or working with the high schools to get some games here on the field, um, we share the facility with a, a community college, Hudson Valley Community College, and and have a good relationship to build on with them. And we've over the years we've gone out and renovated little league uh, and youth fields, youth softball fields, and and done some big community projects in that regard. So that's that's always been part of our DNA. And, you know, I think that, um, helps with, with our fan base, you know, it helps with the interest and, you know, hopefully that just allows us to be a, a, a good part and, and part of the fabric of, of the baseball community up here. Absolutely. And being part of that community is extremely important, as you just said there. And so I, I have to ask the question of when you guys found out that, you know, the New York Penn league was no more, uh, what was the general reaction from the community? And I know that uh, the Valley Cats in particular were very focused on making sure professional baseball remained in uh, Troy, Albany area. Uh, so I, I kind of wonder just what was that immediate outcry uh, from the area and the community? Yeah, you know, that was obviously that was a, uh, a, a tough circumstance and, you know, very challenging uh thing for our staff and our fans and, and ownership to go through. Um, and I think the first thing we heard from fans was, was just support and, you know, Hey, we're with you. Hey, you know, please don't go anywhere. You know, we hope, we hope you stick around. Um, and I think the, the overwhelming outcry was, was of support for, you know, the Valley cats in general and maintaining baseball here in, in the capital region and, you know, then from there, as time went on, and there was a lot of misinformation out there. Were, were we going to be affiliated with somebody else besides the Astros? Were we, you know, were we going away? Were we going to be a collegiate wooden bat league team? You know, were, were we going to join a, a professional league? And I think once we were able to do our due diligence, and we had a lot of conversations, both internal and external, and. You know, felt like um, the Frontier League was was the right landing spot for for us. Then it became um, sort of re-educating the fans and just making sure they understood that, you know, hey, the the league is different, the format is different, uh, but it's still going to be high quality professional baseball. And 
it's still going to be the same Valley Cats experience and, you know, fun night at the Joe, the same, same ownership group, uh, largely. And, you know, the same group of folks that, that have been in the front office for, for a long time together are going to be running it. So they're you know, really trying to get people to, to understand that. And of course, in the midst of, of all the COVID, you know, fatigue and, and confusion and, and changing regulations. So 2021 was, uh, 2020 into 2021 was um, a challenging year to say the least. And, you know, I think we've, we've gradually uh, sort of been building back to a more normal um, operation and experience and trying to, trying to continue that as, as we move forward. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember that period right outside there because what surprised me the most was uh, the local ESPN affiliate have reached out to have us on to kind of explain what the, the Frontier League was and everything. So I do kind of remember uh, that whole kind of like, okay, this is what the independent league baseball is, this is how it's different. And so I do, I have one final question about the the affiliate to uh, independent switchover, and then I'll toss over to Will to see where he wants to go with the interview. With, but uh do you think being an Astro affiliate kind of made it a little bit easier of a transition as opposed to having a more local team like, say, the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Mets or something like that, where there isn't as many fans of the Major League Club uh, that would be there that would be more torn up about it as you would be if you were, say, closer to the parent club? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. I think... Um Certainly, if we were a, a Yankees or a Mets affiliate, that would have been a, you know, it would have been a different experience. But I, I think that people had become accustomed to watching um, Astros players come through here, and you know the the track record of of guys that came through from the Altuve's and Springers to the Jeremy Pena's, and you know, I think that uh, there was an attachment to that and to seeing those guys get to the next level and then ultimately produce, you know, on the biggest stage. Um, so I, I don't think it was a lot easier. Um, it was definitely a challenging conversation with some of our fans. And, you know, we had said from really from day one that the league we were joining was going to have a more experienced player. A lot of guys that, had been at a higher level in the New York Penn League. So we were expecting a, a more polished, um, uh, you know, overall form of baseball. Um, you know, even though you may not have the, the trajectory of that first round pick, um, as frequently as, as you would when, when you were affiliated. So, you know, it was, it, that was sort of the message that, that we put out there and, and that we tried to educate our fans on. And I think largely that's, that's been the case. And, um, you know, people have seemed to enjoy the, the baseball, um, you know, as they've come back to the ballpark and gotten to know some of the players. And, you know, when we were affiliated, you didn't have a player very frequently come back for a second year. If you did, then that, was yeah. not really a good sign for him. Yeah. So I think that that's been helpful with, with fans being able to build some relationships, but um, yeah, you know, I, certainly the Yankee fans, there's no love lost with the Astros, especially after everything that happened in yeah. the postseason. But I think that it was still a, a, a challenging transition for our fans, uh, at, at least at first. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that you get used to seeing a certain 
product you kind of expect like i don't want any change you, you get a little spooked by it and i can definitely get the fan base having that reaction but it's a good thing that there's no uh yankee fans on this show there's currently a red Sox fan being interviewed a red Sox fan that's about to do some interviewing and then me who doesn't like the dh at all so uh on that note i'll toss it over to the other red Sox fan on this show and let him get going on this uh on his line of questioning <laughs> well, well, as as long as your DH takes are Nick, and we're not going we don't need to rehash that at the moment. I'll but, leave it for uh, now because we have a guest yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna be courteous to the guest, Nick. Uh, so, uh, so Matt, I guess specific with that with that whole transition, and when when it came out that those the teams that were not going to have uh and be an affiliated franchise, it seemed like Tri City was like probably. Out of all of them, like one of the the top two, maybe even the first, like the best market for uh, a place to go. Did you guys kind of have like your pick of the litter as far as far as options? And I guess what options were were considered on your end? Yeah, I mean, we you know once once we it, you know once we were informed and I mean really we we found out on on social media that we weren't going to have an affiliation moving forward, which is probably a whole a whole separate podcast, so we won't get into that. <laughs> but um, that nice. yeah, yeah. So we you know we we talked quite quite a bit internally and and you know reviewed our options and. Um, Major League Baseball had had put forth the draft league to the Penn League teams, and you know we we didn't feel like that was the right fit for us. We felt like we had established a commitment to professional baseball, and that had always been kind of steadfast for our ownership group. So, you know, from there we we really started looking at the main um, independent leagues, partner leagues, quote unquote, and. Um, Obviously, the American Association doesn't have a footprint out here, so that was, you know, pretty a pretty quick internal conversation. Just, you know, geographically, it didn't make a ton of sense. And um, from there, we, you know, we had conversations uh, with and and around the Atlantic League and and then the Frontier League, and um, ultimately, from you know our market and looking at what our fan base was used to playing in. You know, starting in mid-June, playing a 38-game season, um, we felt like the Frontier League was a a, a good match. Obviously, we added um, you know, 10 plus games uh, over the past past two seasons with the travel team, but um, we felt like the footprint of the season and trying to share the facility with with the college just it lined up better um, with the Frontier League than the Atlantic League. Obviously, looking at you know, the composition of the players as well. There's a lot of factors that, that went into it. And, you know, I think both, both leagues have a ton of pluses, but we, we just felt like the frontier league was, was the right fit for us. So that's interesting. I guess in, in a, a, I guess a part of that decision that I never really considered as far as what the fans were used to. And of course the start of the New York Penn league, kind of in the middle, uh, second week of, of June, I believe, uh, if, I'm, if I'm right on that second or third week of June, but yep. I think uh, so that so that timing as far as the later start date of the Frontier League season that so that was a, a major role in that in that decision, you would say? 
Yeah, it was it was a factor for for sure. I mean, you know, a- April uh, baseball, and you know, we do host or or help facilitate some high school games um, during that time, as well as the college playing during that time. But I mean, that's you know, that month's really a flip of a coin um, in, in upstate New York. I mean, you could could have a 60, 60 degree day, or you could have snow and 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 uh, rain in, in in the thirties. So um, you know, we we didn't feel like um adding games in april and extending later into september was really a good fit for what we had established and um you know that was that was definitely a factor for for sure as as we were considering those options that's interesting okay and, and i appreciate you sharing that perspective because again that's a part and you know it's probably my fault for not really thinking of that but uh it's something i guess uh, a factor in that uh uh, that I hadn't really considered, but also, um, and, and I wanted to ask also from like an organizational standpoint, I guess, are there, are there things that maybe, uh, that whether it's promotions or I'm not sure, I guess you would have much better perspective on it than I would, but things that you can do as a, uh, as a partner league team that is not directly affiliated with, with a major league team, that say you couldn't do as, as a Houston Astros affiliate and you guys have more freedom to do stuff like that, more unique things. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think there's, I mean, obviously when you're, you know, when we were affiliated and we were part of, of minor league baseball at the time and, you know, now all, all of that's sort of funneled even closer up to, to major league baseball's oversight. There's a lot more uh, infrastructure. There's a lot more, um, I guess, I don't know if rules and regulations are, are the right way to say that, but there's a lot, there's definitely a lot more guidance. Um, and I think there's pros and cons to that, right? I mean, I think the level of, um, accountability at, at, at times, um, you know, with, with the way the teams operate was, was a positive with those rules and regulations as compared to some, you know, some partner league situations that I've, I've seen. Um, but to your point, I think you do have more freedom to think outside the box to, um, bring in different partners, whether those are vendors, you know, we, when you, when we were affiliated, we had very specific, uh, merchandise licensing requirements. We had to meet uniform on field licensing requirements. So I think. I think certainly there is freedom to uh, cultivate different relationships and, and to, to get a little more creative with some of that stuff. Definitely. And when, when you guys were uh, kind of looking for, okay, who is going to be, uh, um, who is going to be like our, our inaugural manager and you guys ended up of course settling on, on Pete and Cavillia. Uh, and so such a huge name in, in the, in the indie ball world, I guess, how did, uh, how did that whole uh, search and, and decision come about? Yes, yeah, so we we had a, a pretty extensive um, process, interview process, and you know I I did the first round of interviews um, for all of the candidates, and you know, the the Frontier League office was great in providing some recommendations, both inside and outside the league, and you know we had recommendations. Obviously, we've you know we have a a pretty good. Um, network of contacts throughout the baseball world from all our time and, you know, in the affiliated game. And so we had people uh, being recommended through those, through those contacts. We had people reaching out to us, um, you know, given 
given the the state of the game at that point and how many people's jobs and teams were were in flux there was a lot there was a lot of managers and coaches that were looking for an opportunity so um we had some really good conversations with a number of different candidates um some with extensive uh independent back, uh experience and and others with strictly affiliated experience and you know at the end of the day um we had essentially narrowed it down to 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 two candidates and you know we felt like um Pete's track record and um experience both as a player and and a manager and you know building rosters um in the Atlantic League and American Association and um the relationships he had with a number of of big league organizations and the track record for sending players back to affiliated opportunities. We just, we felt like it was, it was a good fit and um, you know, we've, we've had two good seasons and and look forward to uh, hopefully taking another step forward here in, in 23. And Nick, I'm not sure if there's anything you wanted to, I guess, I guess as well, that transition kind of end of things as well. Uh, not so much transition, but I do have uh, to ask the question that was, I guess the, uh, about the highlight of last year, or at least the big newsmaker from last year. And we mentioned, or you mentioned a little bit ago, not too many first rounders are coming through, but there was one of serious note in Kumar Rocker last year. So I kind of have to ask, cause we asked Pete a bit about this too, about him as a player perspective. But from your perspective, what was it like to try and get Kumar to try city? Cause I imagine that was a total organization coming together to try and get him there. Yeah. You know, Pete and I, um, we're talking around this time last year and, you know, we started, started kind of kicking the idea around. I think that was a, that was around the time where Kumar had come out and, and said that he wasn't going back to Vanderbilt and was going to pursue an independent opportunity. So, you know, we started the conversation. Um, Pete had, had experience in similar situations and, and had relationships with, uh, some of the folks at the Boris group. So, you know, he did a great job. Um, kind of kind of putting our hat in the ring and you know starting to to move the ball down the field with those guys and and then you know as as things progressed and um you know we were getting asked obviously a lot of questions and you know hey what about this hey you know where do the where do the players live what does this look like what does that look like um you know, are you willing to to help um, you know, with the media in this regard? Are you willing to do this? And you know, we just kinda continued to to try to put our best foot forward and um I think Pete's relationship, I think our facility and and you know, our relationship within or our reputation within um the game of baseball helped uh helped to come together and and we were we were expecting uh, Kumar to, to go pretty high in the draft. I think um, higher than he was getting projected in a lot of the mocks. But uh, to see him go third overall and come off the board that quick was uh, that was fantastic. I think that was was better than certainly uh, cer- th- certainly I thought was going to happen. So uh, we were thrilled for him, and you know, it was a great experience to uh, to have him here for uh, for a couple weeks. Yeah, I imagine it was a uh, it was a great experience to have, and uh, likewise, I imagine, like I said, a lot of the credit goes to just the whole complete structure. And that was one of the things uh, that we we had previously asked was in uh, in our interview with Pete was 
you know, what's that structure like? And so I guess I'll pose the question in a different way to you, but still asking the same thing, essentially, which is what's the, the dynamic like in that front office, in that organization? Because from the sounds of it, it sounds like all you guys are baseball guys that know what you're doing and all are working towards that common goal. And uh, so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what's the dynamic like? What's it uh, What's it like to be a member of the uh, Tri-City Valley Cats, uh, I guess, staff? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's been an interesting transition, obviously for, for us, um, you know, Rick Murphy, our, our team president has been in the game, uh, for 30 plus years. And he was the general manager before, before I became the general manager in 2016 or 2015, I think it was. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of, of, both baseball and operational experience in, in our front office. And you know, as we transitioned to the independent um, model, we, you know, we had a, a solid background and understanding of, of the game and, you know, and, and uh, the talent and the player procurement process, but we still had to, had to learn quite a bit and, you know, had to learn um, all the kind of ins and outs of the medical side and, uh, the contractual side and, you know, putting a coaching staff together. Um, we, we were heavily involved in a lot of the administrative and logistical, um, things when we were affiliated, you know, from hotels and travel and, um, housing and, and meals and stuff like that. But, to to take on the entire, uh, the entirety of, of the baseball operation was, was a big change. So, I mean, I can, confidently and comfortably say that i mean we're a, a very baseball centric organization obviously we're you know we're very fan centric and we try to try to balance the two um but to be able to bring somebody like pete to the table okay. who has that that extensive um you know almost unmatched uh, experience in independent ball um was really a, a I, I think a a huge um opportunity and you know a huge decision for for us because i've spent the past two years and giving my input and collaborating with pete but really still trying to learn the you know the ins and outs of of the independent game and you know the roster management and things like that so it's been um it's been it's been a grind but it's been fun and you know it's been um it's been rewarding to to see some of the successes we've had with uh guys coming through here like like Kumar Rocker, like Brantley Bell, uh, Oscar Campos, who was was with us when we were affiliated with the Astros and then uh, signed back with us last season after he was released and ended up uh, getting an opportunity to to sign with the Mets. So, you know, to be able to to try to send those guys back to affiliated opportunities and, and still um, have success on the field here and entertain the fans, you know, it's been um, – it hasn't been a straight line by any means, but it's been uh, it's been a fun fun experience the past couple of years. Yeah, I can imagine. I imagine that transition to having a, a baseball organization that is obviously still focused on you know getting people in, having an enjoyable experience. But as far as the baseball operations perspective goes, the focus switches from developing these like prospects and these players to go win games, and I imagine that is in its own way a rewarding. Uh, a rewarding experience to have when you have a team that's set purposes to go out and try to win every game as opposed to, you know, eh, go try and work on this aspect of 
of your game prospect, uh, whichever, you know, I imagine that's something that's uh, been a positive change. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we've, we've always, um, wanted to win yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, goes back to our, uh, our former principal owner, Bill Gladstone would, um, would raise, raise that concern anytime we, uh, we had a losing team from the Astros. Um, but to be able to, you know, have your, your handprint on it as an organization and to be responsible for it while, uh, while it certainly, ratchets it ratchets up the accountability with the fans when they come up to you on the concourse and say you know why why what the heck is why is he there why are you bringing this guy in? why is this happening but it's uh it's exciting it's gratifying and it's um you know it's it's uh it's just a new chapter for us really yeah definitely and you guys put together good teams in the past two years even if it fell a little bit short one day and two days short there and i'm sure will you want to talk a, a bit about the the actual baseball play and the play of the team so i guess i'll uh i'll hand it over to you to do that or take it another way if i uh if i didn't speak accurately yeah no sure i think uh i i guess as far as um as far as last season i know uh Yes, uh, again, two good years, certainly, uh, in, in Frontier League, uh, play for you guys. I guess, uh, I guess from, from your perspective, um, what have, what has your, like, sort of analysis been about the, the team on the field over the last couple of years? And, uh, I guess, what are you looking forward to for the, for the future? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think first and foremost, our, our goal, since we joined the league as we said was to, to win a championship and, you know, to compete for one every year. And while we've had two, two solid teams, um, we did miss the playoffs both years. So that's, that's disappointing, um, for us. And, you know, we, we regroup and we retool and our goal remains the same. And, you know, I, I hope and expect and our plan is to try to get into the playoffs uh, this year and, you know, try to, try to chase down that, that championship. But, um, you know, 2021 was, was such a, such a, uh, learning curve and it was such a sort of fast paced, um, process to get the team together. I mean, we didn't, we didn't join the league until January 7th. I think we hired Pete, um, in February, you know, and then from there, it wasn't like there was an expansion draft and we were picking players off of, of other guys, other people's rosters. We just, we had to put something together from scratch and, you know, spring training, um, we felt pretty good about the club. We, we thought we had a good team in place. And, you know, once, um, once the game started counting for real, we, uh, we realized we needed to make some changes and when we, we did that, we were able to bring in some more experienced players as the time went on and make some adjustments. Um, you know, we, I don't think we ever recovered from having, uh, having a, I think it was four or five pitchers, uh, signed basically by the time spring training was over. Um, I think we were chasing that the whole year in 21 and, yeah, I was I was proud of the way the team um, rebounded and and came together and was in it right till the literally the last day of the season to make the playoffs. So, um, you know, he kind of chalked that one up, and um, you know, we were able to I, I thought put together a pretty good roster heading into uh, to last season. You know, we we had a number of guys coming back. We were able to make some. We got off to a decent start, but then we sort of um, 
hit the skids for a while and we made uh made a number of, of changes to the composition of the team i thought we when we got a little younger we got a little better defensively we we brought in um some additional arms and you know kind of righted the ship um you know when cedo culver came over um just i thought he really was a difference maker defensively and just kind of leading the defense um really across the infield um offensively both years i think we were if not the top of the league we were we were close to it in quite a few categories um so our priority you know really is to make sure that that we maintain a high level of offense but if we can continue to shore up the defense and you know like like everybody at every level of baseball we're we're looking for for pitching and, and pitchers and um I think we have some good pieces in place, but certainly uh, need to continue to to build that if we're going to have a successful 23. And I, I guess we've seen, and it's not, and you actually just touched on it there as well, that it's not finding more quality arms and uh, it's not just a, a Tri-City Valley Cats issue. It's not just a Frontier League issue. I mean, it's it's literally all of, all of any ball. I mean, you could look at, how even teams in the even in the Atlantic League, and you see the uh, and certainly the quality of pitching and trying to find quality arms is a problem. So I guess do you think that ability to find arms is or the process for it has kind of changed uh, in some ways, or uh, or how do you guys try and go about doing that to try and get better with it? Because of course you know it is, it is a problem it's like everywhere in independent league baseball right now. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it extends beyond just independent baseball. I mean, I remember watching um, our last couple of years w- with the Astros, and we had some some ups and downs. We had a great year in eighteen. We had, had a, a not so good year in in nineteen. But you know, just watching the development process with with some of the pitchers, and you know, I, I, it's it's a good question, but it's uh, to me. I think that in some instances, the way that guys are being developed and it's, it's a little too cookie cutter in some instances. And I think it's more about you need to be able to throw this pitch in this way, or, you know, you're not going to make it to the next level in our organization, as opposed to looking at guys that can pitch, that know how to pitch, that understand the mental aspect of it and can you know, set a hitter up. Maybe they're not going to have a, a, you know, fastball with a high spin rate that they're going to throw by some guy at the letters. But, you know, if they can dot up the outside corner and they can keep guys off balance with a change up and a, you know, a, a breaking ball that they can throw for strikes or intentionally throw out of the zone, you know, I, I think that, I think there's needs to be a reemphasis on, um, pitchability and you know understanding how to pitch as opposed to just stuff and spin and velocity and that's not to say that that stuff is not important and that and i'm not saying that the analytical tools are not important because they are and we use them but i think sometimes it, it just becomes a little bit too much of a one-size-fits-all approach in in the affiliated world right now and i think that that trickles down as guys are getting released and then coming back to um, independent ball coming back to partner leagues, you know, they, they almost need to sort of retrain, uh, their brain in terms of, of how to attack hitters and, you know, how to pitch to their strengths. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, it's a really interesting point. And I know that uh, a huge college baseball guy myself. And like you look and you watch like and some of the pitching at at that level. I mean, it's funny. I, I know you're I know you're a BC guy as well, and so that was been a big problem in the BC program as well for for the last few years too. And I mean, even you watch like some of these. Uh, whether it's conference tournaments or super regionals. And I know that that could be a whole other conversation about the bats and stuff like that, but certainly you've seen, uh, you know, velocity is up and these other numbers are up. Well, the runs are also up and uh, walks are way up. And so, and you might say, well, okay, well, well, this is, this is called, this is college baseball. This doesn't really, this doesn't really, this isn't the same thing as part of like, well, you're right. But at the same time, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you need to have 10 rookies on your team. And that's a big part of that. Uh, guys that are not too far removed from, from college, at the end of the day, you're trying to find value from, from those rookies. And that's something, of course, and when we talked to, to Pete Incavillia, he talked about the importance of trying to find production from, from those, uh, from those rookies. And so, uh, it's, it's definitely a big problem. I think as far as arms and again, it's not just a frontier league problem. You've seen it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, I think the other thing, and this is still something that, you know, we're learning, but I think everybody's adapting is just seeing how, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer there's still a lot of dust to settle with all the shakeups that were started by Major League Baseball. So I think the Major League organizations are trying to figure out how, <clears throat> how they maximize um, the partner leagues. And I think the partner leagues are still figuring out how everything fits together, right? I mean, it's the the guys quote unquote graduate or move from the Pioneer League to uh the Frontier League or the American Association sure. or, or you know the Atlantic League. What about now what about the draft league, which is a hybrid league. So those guys that they don't get drafted and stay on and, and sign a contract, you know, where do those guys go the next year? Do they most of them look to go to the Pioneer League or, you know, are they jumping to the Frontier Leagues? I think everybody is trying to figure out where those opportunities are. And I mean, of course, the position players are critical, but I think a lot of it is, is driven around pitching. Right. And I, I know, uh, Nick, if there's anything, I think that's about all I have, but I think, Nick, if you, there's anything else you wanted to touch on for sure. But yeah, certainly uh, good to hear your perspective, Matt, and a lot of fun conversation around that. Uh, we could go on for hours and hours and hours about it, but, but you know, I uh, know, Nick, if there's anything else you want to add. Well, there is one one pitcher in particular I want to talk about because when you have people oh, from the Valley Cats on, you have to talk about uh, about Trey Cochran Gill. And I just need to know, how aware is you know the front office and at least people around the team to, with the nickname that we gave him? Assuming yeah, the, the, the law firm, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm so we're, happy we're this aware. is taking root. I'm so happy this is taking root. When I heard it mentioned on a broadcast, I was like, oh, wow, this is this started to snowball more than it should have. I mean, that, when, when you guys started selling jerseys, if I'm not mistaken, I got Trey's number and law firm on the back of it because I was like, do I go Conquering Gill or do I go with uh, law firm? I was like, law firm. Got to go law firm. Uh, I like it. I like it. Well, you you know I'm a Red Sox fan. I grew up in the Boston area, and um, I'm a I'm a Patriots fan as well. And 
reminds me back to uh, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. I think yeah. uh, Chris Chris Berman used to used yeah. to use the law firm nickname for him too. So it's good stuff. Yeah, it's the inspiration for it. And being that you're a Boston guy and a BC guy, I have one nonsense question I have to ask everybody because I like to show off the fact that I actually researched these interviews, despite what some listeners may think. But uh, which is the better arena, Conti or Agnes? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so I remember going to games back um, before Aganis was there, and I'm blanking on the name. I think it was, was it Walter Brown? Was the original BU Arena? I think so, yeah. But I, I, I remember going to games there when um, – uh, Mike Sullivan, who's the coach of the Penguins, yeah. was on is on the team. Tony Amonti, who's actually from my hometown, was oh, on the nice. team. Um, so we used to go back and forth. We'd go to the BU games and and we'd go to Connie Forum back when uh, Steve Hines was there. The Hemline, Hines, Emma, and McGinnis. Um, yeah. I mean, I I was always a BC fan growing up, uh, so I, I got to go Connie, uh, yeah. particularly over. Aganis. I mean, Aganis is newer. It's 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 obviously got got newer features, but um, I think Connie's just a, a a great place to watch college hockey. Yeah, I I was hoping you'd say that because I, we mentioned in the pre-interview, but I got, I'm going to mention on record now. My one friend, he's a big BC guy because he wound up going to BC, and so he always goes ahead and he starts talking about it and go, John, I understand you're a Boston College guy. But I'm a North Dakota guy, so if we want to compare recent resumes here, why don't we settle down? <laughs> but, yeah, I always just love running into hockey fans in any sport, too. Uh, Will knows I've spent literal episodes of this show just discussing hockey as bonus episodes and what else. So I had to ask yeah. that as my nonsense question. Uh, but uh, With that, I've, you've been very generous with your time, and we'll do the same thing we do for everybody around here, which is we give five minutes at the end of the show to say anything you got to say, promote anything you want to promote, uh, circle back to a topic that maybe we went by a little too quick or go to a topic that um, that we didn't get to or didn't discuss. If you want to do anything like that, uh, the floor is yours to uh, go about and do that. <clears throat> Um, I don't, I don't think I have, have a ton to add. No. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys, you guys have me on. Like I said, we're, you know, we're, we're still new in, in the partner league and the independent game. So we're, um, we're, we're learning as we go and trying to build relationships. And, uh, I appreciate you guys reaching out and, you know, look forward to, uh, to hopefully connecting again at some point. Definitely. We appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh, we'd love to have you back on again when we get close to the season and talk some more Valley Cat uh, baseball, maybe give fans in the greater tri-state area something to look forward to, a reason to swing on up to Troy. And I know I certainly want to try and get up there this year because uh, I have yet to get up there, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm going to make an effort to get up there. Right. Thanks again to Matt for coming on the show. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be bringing you more interviews going forward. And so on that note, uh, I'm not sure if you want to say anything about either the Pete interview or the Matt interview will. But uh, yeah, if you want to, I guess we could talk about that either briefly or we could just go right to Atlantic League news either or. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'd, I'd, I'd really want to mention, I mean, obviously, thank you to both of them for, for coming on and 
Matt for for setting up the the feed interview as well. And I think that uh, I don't know it's just really great to talk baseball. I mean, two guys that are, have been in the business really know the game, and you know, you talk a lot about uh, in, honestly just talking about like the kind of where the game is heading and 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 stuff like that. So it's really interesting to hear really both their perspectives, and uh, I really enjoyed conducting it. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that point. And so on that note, uh, we will go into the Atlantic League and all that inhabits that. There really is only one major thing from the Atlantic League this week, and that is, of course, the news in Frederick, which is to say what we learned last week from Frederick, but we didn't really discuss too much. A lot of this was kind of already known, but there is some more clarity. We know Frederick's the extra team. We know that they're going to be doing a name-to-team contest. If you win, you get to throw out the first pitch. You get a jersey and suit two season tickets. Everybody that submits a name gets entered into a raffle to win two season tickets as well. So that's kind of cool if you're in the General Frederick area. Um, likewise, Andrew Klein is going to be the general manager for this Frederick Atlantic League team. He's also the general manager for the Frederick Keys. Uh, that could be... A tall task. They're going to share the same ballpark as well. So it's essentially, it appears as though it's two heads on the same body type of setup where I imagine it's going to be a lot of the same resources that are going towards the keys are just going to kind of be split off a little bit to send to the Atlantic League. Obviously, with the one being in the draft league, one's in the Atlantic League. That the Atlantic League team is going to be uh, a little bit more expensive to run and is going to be a bit of a different animal to run, but uh, they're going to try and use the same support system there. Uh, as far as team branding goes, if we're going to touch on that again, uh, it's going to be a brandiose design. And likewise, we know Chuck Domino, who we, we are familiar with from uh, Charleston, West Virginia team. He is going to also be part of this group helping to run this team as well. Uh, the goal remains that they're going to want an affiliated team still. However, it seems like from the Frederick perspective, that's still five to ten years out because it likely will only come with a new ballpark, and that takes time in and of itself. So the sense I'm getting from here, from uh, all of these different things from this, uh, from this kind of press conference was A, I understand why you went with Minakazi now. There's history between him and Domino and some experience there. That hire makes a lot of sense. I also gather that this seems to be more of a multi-year solution, which creates a problem for next year when Hagerstown comes in, but that's kind of figure it out when it becomes a problem problem. And likewise, if I had to venture, and this is certainly on the lower end of everything, I'd guess that the team name is probably going to be Frederick, adjective noun because if you look at all these other teams it's lehigh valley iron pigs uh rocket city trash panda charleston dirty birds you know it's always that noun yeah. or verb noun or adverb noun or adjective noun i, adjective. I don't yeah, yeah i don't i don't do english grammar we don't do that that's not important i use my words pretty that's all i do yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's, it's obviously you got guys who have been around the Atlantic league and you're kind of putting them into, into this team and it'll be, I mean, it's fa- It's going to be really fascinating to see like not only just, I mean, the two teams operating at one ballpark, but in two totally different leagues. So 
uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch. And I think that, uh, and, you know, you, and as you mentioned, like then of course, wanting an affiliated team, I think most of these teams would say that they, that yeah. that's what they want eventually. I mean, uh, but I think that you're right. That's not going to come with that new ballpark and that that's a whole process. That's going to take quite a while. So, uh, would maybe does Frederick think that, Hey, this is our second best option and kind of test it out. I don't know. We'll have to see, but I think, uh, but, uh, yeah, interested to see also the name as well. And cause it won't be Frederick, Frederick keys. So, mm. uh, a new team name there. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of what would be a decent, uh, a decent name for Frederick. I'm horrible at coming up with names on the spot. Yeah. And I just don't know anything about Frederick. So, I don't either. Yeah, uh, I know it's in Maryland, but it's about all I know. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else. I got nothing on the spot, so we'll just we'll leave it at that. But yeah, there's some interesting news coming through there. I'll be interested to see when we start getting more and more out of them to see how this operates. Um, obviously, we're mid January, near end January now. You'd like to see them starting to get a move on this because we are what. 100 days away from first pitch so you'd like to see some branding get out you'd like to see some more of a a push in the marketing element you can't really market too well without a brand and without too much to build around when you're just saying hey baseball game want to come you know it's it's a bit easier when you have like hey we have a team name we got a logo we got designs we got a bunch of different things that we can do and have fun with Uh, obviously you need to have a brand first to do that and obviously you uh, need to have a budget too, so you know what you're working with. So I'd hope they have the budget done, and we're getting the brand soon. So uh, yeah, that's about all we have Atlantic League wise. There is, uh, there is a yawn in there, but there's also <clears throat> the uh, AAA minor league system using the ABS system that we've seen previously in the Atlantic League this year. Um, I don't really know if we have too much to say about. You know what's happening in affiliated minor league baseball, but it does kind of connect to the Atlantic League because of the ABS system, an ABS system that we are all well acquainted with and are well knowledgeable of its faults, of which there are many. And I am going to be very curious to see how that translates to AAA baseball, where it certainly will have a wider audience and will certainly have, I think, a lot more focus from major league clubs. So I'll be interested to see if this is the system that wins out or if the challenge system wins out, which frankly seems like a better system. But uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just curious if you have any thought on that before we go yeah, on. The, the challenge, the challenge system in my, in my view is by far like the best uh, is by far like the best system that is out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record because I know I've said it plenty of times before, um, but uh, the challenge system to me seems to be way better, way better for flow of the game um, as well. And I think that uh, at least for the ABS system, and we know that it's not, it's not perfect. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see. And I think with a lot of guys, a lot of guys MLB experience, it's the big test for, for the MLB. But if I were, if I were to guess and just knowing, I guess, what people are... Because seriously, I haven't seen anybody not like the challenge system. Mm. And I've seen... And there honestly are not that many people who uh, who like the ABS that have played with it. So I think that... Um, 
I, I, I think, look, I mean, they're inclined to test whatever they want to test, but I think if I were to guess and just knowing how this is likely going to go and mm-hmm. basically, I, well, actually I don't want to guess how it's likely going to go because yeah, because Rob Manfred's dumb. But yeah. I think that. But I, I think that as far as what the what the people want, I think the people and the fans and the players, I think they're more looking towards, um, are more looking towards that challenge system as the future, as opposed to the ABS system. So kind of half using it and half not. I think honestly, a lot of people that are championing the ABS because I see this actually a lot online like a lot of people are like oh thank god the robots are here I think they haven't really ever watched what the ABS no, is in, not. in action because see either you use the 2D system which is you know slightly better not by much but slightly better or you use the 3D one which just changes the zone entirely to in which then nobody is happy because the pitchers don't like it. Yeah, because Nick, I mean, yeah. the, they think the ABS, a lot of people think the ABS system is just what they see on TV, and it's not. Yeah. It's not It's not really the closest thing I think that you'd probably can come to what the actual system is, and I believe they use it on ESPN when it's kind of like a, uh, and I know you don't watch Major League Baseball anymore for yeah. reasons I think are wrong, but uh, I think that it's probably what they have on ESPN is like the closest thing that they have because it'll show like the 3d view of it. And like, Oh, did it clip like the front corner of the plate or something yeah. like that? And that's something you don't really see uh, with, with the 2d system. So it's, that's, uh, that's more what your more, what the uh, reality is. And, and I think people just don't, haven't really seen it in action and maybe that changes a little bit with with what the with triple a yeah i think that's definitely the case too i mean you can't have a 2d zone for something that's 3d and the 3d zone doesn't really work i think just a lot of people at this point don't really know what it is like you're saying or have a misconception as to what it is and they just don't like missed calls and like on one hand i'm not gonna be the guy that's like oh well you miss calls are part of the game It, it adds something to it i don't really think getting a call wrong adds something to it that yeah. said i also think that some of the things that were called that were being called by that abs were real tacky and it's one of those where it's like if you got the wrong call on that i'm not upset about it like if it just barely clips i'm like you know the, the best way to call it would be like in hockey with an offside review where it's like if you're just barely over and it's clear you had no effect whatsoever on the play that resulted in a goal, am I? would I be that upset if that goal stood? No, because you just were barely standing over the line or like you were clearly trying to get back onside or something like that. It's like you didn't have anything to do with this. It's the same kind of thing with like in baseball. If it's a fractional of, of an inch, type of call going one way or the other it's like that is way too close and if we're in the placement of it's too close to take then at a certain point i also look at the batter like yeah it was a bad call but why were you taking on something that close right so Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those types of things where like the egregious ones need to be weeded out it has no purpose the ones that are like mid it's like that doesn't add anything. I'd like to get them solved, but the ones that are quite clearly toss-up coin flip ones, I'm never going to be upset with that going one way or the other, simply because it was a toss-up. It was a coin flip. If we're in that position, 
each side has things that they're supposed to do in that case. So, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. And likewise, I'm also fine with a catcher being able to work on their framing still. I think that adds a lot of value to a catcher position. So I don't want to take that away completely. So I do think the challenge system is probably yeah. better because it does still allow for that. But the ABS, it just, it doesn't really work well. <laughs> it's the only real way to put it. It doesn't work well. Maybe it could be refined yeah. in the future, but it's just nothing we've seen from it so far says, this is a good system. It should continue to work as opposed to the other system in use. Yeah, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really work well in in practice. Yeah. So I, I think that's what we're, that's really what we're looking at here. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, we do have Pioneer League news. We should probably get to that uh, before we go way, way long on this. So uh, Pioneer League, Grand Junction. We had McRitter on back in December. He told me then we we're going to be announcing our man, our new manager soon, probably Monday. It has been several Mondays since. But we finally do know their new manager. Their new manager will be a guy that is very familiar to the IndieWall community. And that is James Frisbee. Uh, if you remember Frisbee, he was supposed to be in Lincoln. Then he took a job with the Tigers, I believe it was. And Brett Jody came in and took that position. He was with several other clubs, mainly uh, American Association clubs. He now goes to the Pioneer League. He knows what he's doing as far as being in a manager. He has experience. He has all those jazz. You know, we could go through the list and the resume here, but I think he's fairly familiar to a lot of people in this community, so we'll spare the time. And certainly, if you want to read the press release all about him, that's linked in the show notes, as is everything here. You know, six years in the Central League and Frontier League and the American Association. He's 49. He's the whole jazz. So overall, thoughts on bringing James Frisbee in as manager of the Grand Junction Jackalopes. Still love the name Jackalopes, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Frisbee, look, he's been around the block. Uh, he has been around the block. He, he's been to every league possible. You kind of know what you're going to get with him. I mean, he's not like a, he's not like a knock, knock your socks off. Like that. it's not a hire that'll kind of blow it out of the park, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a solid hire. I mean, it's a guy that's literally been, He's done everything there there is that uh, that there is to do at indie ball to this point, and so I think there's definitely a plus for that type of experience. But at the same time, you know, I don't. Uh, it's not like it's not like the ceiling is unbelievably high, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like it being in the Pioneer League. I don't want to disparage any Pioneer League because I think there's some really good managers over there. I think there's some good baseball over there, but. It also is the Pioneer League. It is among the core four, probably the the lowest of them, just because they have younger players, and that's going to kind of limit there. Um, more than that, though, I see exactly what you're saying. It's uh, it isn't the Atlantic League. It isn't you know some of these more prestigious leagues. So there is a limit to it. But he is like I say, he's only 49. So it's not like he's that old, right? So you have that working for you. You have a guy that knows what he's doing working for you. Although I do kind of wonder because he's jumped to Major League Baseball a couple times now. I wonder how long he's going to be there. And I don't doubt that between the independent experience and working with Major League Baseball, that's kind of how this one kind of came about where both sides were like, yeah, he's he's good. You could hire him. So uh, it also is just an awkward kind of position to come in to a team that won the uh, championship last year. And uh, now you have to go ahead and jump right in and kind of continue that success. So I'm going to be very interested to see 
uh, how they do this year. But I do like the hire. I think he knows what he's doing. And overall, I think it's just a, it's a fine hire. You know, I don't really have a strong. Yeah, it's opinion. fine. Yeah, it's fine. I think that's probably the best way to, to put it. I, I, think, I think he's it's a fine hire. Yeah, exactly. I have no strong opinion on it one way or the other. So uh, hopefully uh, we get to see more out of them and hopefully it works out really well for them going forward. As far as the other managerial hire, that comes from Colorado as well. But this time, Northern Colorado, the Owls have hired Frank Gonzalez as their manager. He joins the Owls after eight seasons in in the Colorado Rocky organization. Uh, Most recently, he was the pitching coach at the AAA level in Albuquerque. Um, he's a well-known guy in the area, uh, described by the majority owner of the team as a local legend. And, uh, yeah, I suppose this is a guy that, you know, is known in Colorado, spent some time in this general region. He's, you know, kind of a local face that could probably get some people out for that. Uh, he obviously has some coaching experience. He only really started coaching in uh, 2009, uh, and that was as a high school head coach. And it says head coach, so I don't want to hear people give me crap on Twitter. Like the last time I called someone a head coach, and I was told they're a manager. It says head coach right here, so I don't want to hear it. But yeah, so he was the head coach at a high school for three years, and then joined the Rockies organization two years after that. Uh, so. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to be interested to see how he does. There's not really a lot to go off of here, but he seems like a solid enough player. Uh, had a good record and good stat line affiliated ball, and he pitched in China for a little bit too. So, you know, uh, maybe he does something, maybe he doesn't. It's the Pioneer League, so you never really know. <laughs> maybe he does something, maybe he doesn't, but you never know because it's the Pioneer League, yeah. Uh, that's a pretty so, fair way to describe the Pioneer that, League. I think, I think it is. So, yeah, I think that the local connection is good. Um, and, uh, you know, in the fact he was a, a pitching coach in AAA, I, I honestly think this is one of the better ones, uh, just looking at kind of the resume on paper. And I think that, uh, you know, th- there, he knows what it takes to kind of reach the higher levels of the minors as well. So, uh, you know, and seems, a like a solid coaching tenure as well. So I, I think that, I think it's a, you know, a pretty solid hire overall. Yeah, no, definitely. I'll agree with that. And, uh, yeah, the last hire and last bit of news we have for the week is out of the Boise Hawks organization. Uh, the Hawks announced that Jimmy Johnson, not that Jimmy Johnson, the other Jimmy Johnson, will be joining the field staff as the director of scouting. He has over 50 years of professional baseball experience, and you may know him if you're a Pioneer League guy because in 2021, he managed the Grand Junction Rockies currently the Grand Junction Jackalopes, that same organization. He managed for them prior to Bobby Jenks getting that job. So, yeah, he knows the Pioneer League. He knows baseball. I do like it. Obviously, they weren't very good last year. That's not really news to anybody. That's not saying anything controversially. They did not have a good year. So bringing in a guy that knows baseball, knows scouting. I believe he's also involved with the USPBL as well. And uh, if I'm not, or was at least at one point, I don't, I don't know why I think that. I think that was a thing. And I know he worked with the California Winter League in the past as well, too. So obviously a guy that has connections, knows how to look, and can hopefully bring in some more talent and get Boise back to being competitive again. Right. I think there's, I think you mentioned it because at the end of the day, Boise really needed a kind of a jolt. Um, 
and they needed to make some changes after after a really rough year last year. So I, I will say it is inter- it's an interesting jump from manager of another team like Grand Junction to uh, even though granted he that that was twenty twenty one Grand Junction, but kind of making the jump from being a manager for another team to director of scouting on another team. But I guess it's like a, a less of a grind like day to day. So I think it's uh, you know it seems like a it seems like a solid move, and they you know ultimately this is a move a move that Boise they had to try something different. They had to try uh, they had to try and do something else uh, because last year you know they they have not been very good really since this. Um, Sent. Uh, they've not been. They were not very good last year. So, uh, and I don't know if this is the the move that'll put them over the top. But again, they had to try something different. Yeah, definitely. I, I like it. just bringing an extra set of eyes and trying to get more more guys, uh, better higher quality player uh, on the team. So I definitely like it from that perspective there. Uh, so yeah, there's that. And uh, the only thing I have left to say before we go to the plugs is because I mentioned the USPBL, I had to go to their website real quick. And I got to be honest with you, their pricing on a lot of their stuff, because I'm looking at their merch right now, is actually pretty good. Like, they got jerseys for under 50 bucks. Oh. Yeah, they got this, some of these shirts, too. Like, I see this one, like, beaver print shirt. It's not the best looking one in the world, but only 8 bucks. Another couple of shirts, 20 bucks. I saw some hats between 20 and 30 Overall, I mean, man, these are not terrible prices. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, if the USPBL was tra- was charging, was trying to overcharge, like, I'd be concerned too. <laughs> like they need to. They only have one ballpark. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like this one's actually pretty cool. Like this one, uh, kind of like you know, like the dry weave kind of material. Those types of shirts. This one's pretty solidly priced. Eighteen bucks for it. That's that'll play. Yeah, like that's pretty solid. But uh, yeah, enough talking about USPBL gear, although. Some of it's really not bad. I may, I may circle back to that when I get paid. I don't know, but we're gonna we're gonna leave that for now. We're gonna go to the plugs and then we're gonna get out of here. So if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore News and at IndieBallReport. You can also find everything we mentioned today, links to everything in the show notes. Show notes are on IndieBallReport.com. So swing over there, and we are finally gonna get around to starting to uh, get some newer uh, content up via YouTube and mainly the website posting articles and whatnot. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Check back there. Well, check there at least once a month, I would say. I'm going to try to get at least one article or video up a month. I think that's a fairly realistic goal. So that's going to be your headquarters for everything. Check the website when in doubt. So uh, you can find the show on Pretty much every podcast platform, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the whole nine there. Uh, and likewise, we mentioned last week that the episode will be up on Friday. Didn't come up on Friday. And that episode that I'm talking about is over on uh, Ryan's YouTube channel, Indie Ball Nation. And I believe he's also on all the same platforms we are podcast wise. He puts him an audio version, although there is a video version, obviously, YouTube. Um, so if you want to check that out, you can check that out. But I jumped on there. We were supposed to talk about some wonky scheduling in the Atlantic League where like some teams yes, never yeah. really travel at all. Like Long Island doesn't ever go to Lexington or Gastonia or I think it's West Virginia. One, like 
they got some real favorable scheduling. It's very weird. He talks about if you want to. We were going to talk about that, but then we wound up going on a tangent, which I told him you shouldn't have invited me on. That's what was going to happen. But it's entertaining. So be sure to uh, go over and listen to that once you're done here. Um, so with that said, do we have anything else left to add? I have to say. So it was the first time that I've flown out of JFK uh, when I went to Vegas this past weekend, this yeah. past week. And I never want to hear people complaining about Newark Airport again. And I and it's not even that I've had bad experiences at Newark Airport because for the most part they've been good. I mean, JFK is the worst by far. It's not even close. I mean, the TSA lines are like over like the I mean, it took me 50 minutes to get through TSA. Never had that problem anywhere else. And not to mention, like I they switched my gate, which is fine, but then switched it to a different terminal like two hours before the, the plane was supposed to take off. So I had to switch, get on another shuttle, switch terminals, uh, and yeah, and then my plane sits on the runway for 30 minutes because they because their gate isn't open. So to be honest with you, I, I see lots of people complain about Newark Airport, and I honestly kind of like it. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, JFK is by far the worst, and it's not even close. That's all I have to say. There's a lot going on there. I just I hope you were allowed to bring a mini bed on the plane, though. No, see, that's I'm not allowed to bring a mini bed. So yeah, it, that's make that be a PSA for everybody. If you want to buy a minor league mini bat, like I do, like hey, like for an indie ball minor league team, like hey, I've I've been to like I'll never go to a Las Vegas Aviators game, so hey, I want to buy a mini bat, and you cannot bring it on the plane. See. You can't. What I want to know is uh, why exactly you can't. Because I refuse to believe a mini bat is that dangerous of a weapon. Am I am I going to take it out of my carry on and start beating people over the head with it? Like I I don't I don't understand here. Yeah, like that's why I just I'm not quite grasping here. Like, sure, I could kind of see it being a a problem, but even still, I just don't largely see it. And personally, this is why I think we should be able to have like. U.S. postal terminals in airports. So that way, if you wanted to, you could just go over and mail it to your destination. Interesting. I think that's perfectly fine because already it's, that's a interesting, fed- yeah. Yeah, it's a federal building anyway, seeing as it's an airport. You know, like, what exactly is the difference there? Like, you could just toss a small postal one obviously not a full-scale operation you're not having a a distribution base on it but why can't you just have a essentially a courtesy counter right there where you go hi i want to mail this and whatever it is obviously you know if it's wrapped in a box or something i could totally get you not wanting to have you know packages like that there but in the case of yours or say if i was trying to ship like a bottle of wine or something back and i wasn't allowed to bring that on the plane I feel like I should be allowed to go ahead and mail that. I don't see what the issue is. Hell, you can even mark up the rate there because you kind of got them right. by the balls while you're stuck in an airport. So, you exactly. know, I, I'd be perfectly fine with that. I mean, like, even even a markup from the USPS is still cheaper than sending anything via FedEx or UPS. And also it gets there and it's done correctly. Uh, I, I really don't like FedEx or UPS. Or UPS especially. They always misdeliver my shit. But. I've never really had a uh, a bad experience with the two with the two, but I mean, yeah, I, and that is an interesting idea that I've never thought of before, though. Yeah, like I just I never really quite understood that. Like it just made a lot of sense. And like if you're concerned about like like any sort of crime with that, a 
yeah, I would hope that with all the extra security you keep in an airport that is deemed necessary, that you could prevent basic uh, mail fraud or something along those lines. And likewise, uh, fun fact, tampering with the mail in any sort of capacity is a felony. So I don't think the average person is going to be like, oh, let me just quickly yoink on a piece of mail because that's a very fun way to do 15 years in a federal penitentiary for the benefit of a minor league mini bat. Yeah. So like I said, I just, I think a mail, you know, terminal inside a uh, airport is not a terrible idea. That's all I'm going to say. But any case, I don't really have anything left to add other than I was at the Princeton game on Tuesday and uh, Jack Cronin scored one hell of a goal. It was fantastic. And I look forward to going back down to Princeton uh, in a week from now because on the 28th, I'll be back down there as well. And this time, if I see Mike Ashmore sitting up in the press box like I did last time, I'm going to take a picture and post it on Twitter and go, hi, Mike. <laughs> and just see what he I'm says. Sure, I'm, sh- I'm sure he'd like that. I'm sure he would. I'm sure I'd get some sort of sarcastic comment that would make me feel bad. But, you know, at the same point in time, that's not going to stop me. If anything, it's just going to embolden me more. But, exactly. But in any case, yeah, I'm just still like all caught up about the fact that the USPBL pricing is pretty reasonable. I'm not going to lie. So uh, with that information you have, we'll be back hopefully with an interview next week. If not, definitely the week after we'll have one for you. But until then, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>